Listen, I'm going to have a lot of verses to read, and I don't want to make you stand through them all. So if you will, we'll just join for a uh, quick word of prayer. I'm going to invite you to sit down. Uh, we will be in John chapter 11 this morning. Uh, the title of today's message is Four Days Late. Four Days Late. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I thought God was never going to show up. I thought that it was going to be the end of me, or it was just going to be a disaster. And I realize he's never late. He's always on time. But in our perspective, it always feels like he's a little bit late. And so today we're going to be reading about Lazarus because he showed up four days late. And so let's pray. And then I'll invite you to be seated. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the worship we've already got to enjoy. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, be with us this morning as we go into your word. Lord, that you would, uh, Lord, hide me behind the cross. Lord, you know my heart this morning is to only to bring glory and honor and attention to you. So, Father, we invite you into this place and say, inhabit this place. Have your way in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Um, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of read a lot of verses this morning. And uh, I, I hope you'll stay with me. But before we get going, have you ever heard of the five love? The five love. You've, you've heard of those. Um, I encourage all of people I do premarital counseling with, I always encourage them to go and take the five love languages quiz. It's free. It's online. And, and the five love languages are uh, physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, and, 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 uh, and acts of service. It's like doing the dishes and vacuuming the house, that kind of stuff. And uh, so me and my wife have done the five love languages test, and I have found out my wife is all five equally. She is. She wants you to hug her and do the dishes and take her out for a nice meal and give her a gift and do all those things equally. And uh, I, I love her to death because uh, honestly, I can do any of those five things, and 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 she, you know, it's going to crank her tractor. So uh, I'm I'm lucky and blessed in that way. But when we look at God, sometimes we have to understand. I believe God has a a a a, a, a love language. And I believe his love language is trust. He loves when we trust him. But here's the thing. We're guilty of this. Sometimes we gauge God's love for us by whether or not he changes our circumstance. If my circumstance changes, then I know that he loves me. If he fixes my problem, I know that he loves me. If he restores my marriage, I know that he loves me. If he cures my addiction, I know that he loves me. If he cures this disease, I know that he loves me. And if he doesn't do that, then we struggle with really believing he loves us. But honestly, he's saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Faith, faith is saying God can do anything. We, we can say God can do anything. But here's the thing we won't say out loud. We struggle believing, we say God can do anything, but we, we struggle when we know He can do anything, but yet He won't do something in our life. And we struggle even more when we say He can do anything, and yet we see Him do the thing we need Him to do in our life, we see Him do it in somebody else's life, but He won't do it in yours. That's tough, isn't it? It's tough believing that God loves you. It's tough believing, keeping the faith. It's, it's tough in those moments. And so faith and trust is being able to praise Him for who He is and not what He does. It's a big difference. 
And so I just want to join in. If we're going to read a lot of verses, we're going to read from John chapter 11, verse 1, all the way to verse 45, because I want you to see the whole picture, the whole picture. It says, now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister, Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go unto Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may wake him out of the sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Jesus, if he's asleep and he's sick, leave him be, man. Let him recover. And Jesus said to say to them plainly. Sometimes we just got to say, Jesus, tell it to me plainly. And he says, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent you may believe. Never, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, that means twin, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave for four days already. He's too late. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. That's about two miles away. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, My brother shall rise, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. See, she's not getting it. I, I, I know he's going it, to, it's too late now, but I know he'll rise again in the resurrection. So Jesus had to make it plain. I am the resurrection and the life. He, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Verse 27. Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. See, she believed who he was, but didn't believe he could do what he said he could do. Verse 28. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister, secretly saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha had met him. The Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That's an important word right there, groaned. We'll hit on that a little bit later. Verse 34, and said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. If y'all ever want to start memorizing some verses, this is a good place to start. John eleven thirty-five. 35, Jesus wept. 
Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Therefore there again, there's that word again, groaning in himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then it took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which, sit, which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave cloths, and his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. There is ten times in this chapter alone the word believe is mentioned. This whole chapter is about belief. It's all about doing things that seem so hard and difficult so that you may get uh, uh, strengthened in your faith. You may believe a little bit more. Jesus is going to do something that everybody thought was impossible so that they might believe. Now, to kind of jump right in, I, I want you to see that there, there's several things at play in this chapter. And the very first thing, if you have your notes, you see that we have the plea of the people. The plea of the people. They come and, and, and they tell Jesus, the one who you love is sick. The one who you love is sick. Now, in this whole transaction between Mary and Martha, that is Lazarus' sisters, you, you see that they approach Jesus differently. Each one of them come to Jesus in a different way. And, and, and this is why I think the pattern of your worship matters. I believe the pattern of your worship matters. Every time you see Mary, this particular Mary, every time you see her mentioned in Scripture, she's always at the feet of Jesus. It was a habit. It was her lifestyle. She was always worshiping. And, 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 and the, the reason why I think this is important, I, I was reading that, and God kind of dropped in my heart a little bit of application about that, that if you make worship a part of your everyday, then worship will be easy on your hard day. If you learn to worship on the easy days, then you can learn to worship on your hard days. It's important to have a habit of worship in your life. Three times Jesus is, or Mary is mentioned at the feet of Jesus. The first time we see it in Luke chapter 10. Remember, he's over there at Mary and Martha's house. And Martha's busy. She's cooking. She's cleaning. Making chicken and dumplings and cornbread. And Mary is at the feet of Jesus just listening. Martha gets a little perturbed about this. She says, Jesus, tell my lazy sister to get up and come and help me. And Jesus' response to her in Luke chapter 41 was, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. And in verse 42, he says, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying to me, he's saying, Martha, Martha, your company means so much more to me than your cooking. Won't you just come close for a little bit? I, I, I believe you are more important to me than anything you can do for me. So Martha, Mary chose the good thing. She's sitting here at my feet. The second time we see Mary at Jesus' feet is in this chapter, chapter 11. 
And, and, and we see her, and this is where I believe the second point of all of this is I believe that your posture of worship matters. I believe it's important to have a pattern of worship, something, a routine, a, disciple, a discipline in your life that you're known for your worship because you, you never know when a bad day's coming. And you're going to need that worship in the bad days. And if you never worshiped in the good days, you're going to kind of be lost on your bad days. And so we see a pattern of worship in Mary's life where she's always worshiping. The second time we see her is here at the feet of Jesus in John chapter 11. It says in verse 20, we see how Mary or how Martha came first. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not had uh, had not died. Now think about this. Every time Jesus went to Bethany, he always went to their house. Martha didn't let him in the house this time. She met him in the streets. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Can we be honest and say sometimes we've been angry with God before? God, if you would have, if you would have answered my prayer, if you would have been there, if you would have showed up, this wouldn't have happened. And so we see, Martha said, I ain't cooking for you today, Jesus. I'm mad. And meets him in the street. And, and, and then we see Mary, how Mary comes to Jesus in verse 32. It says, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she did something a little different. She fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou wouldest been here, my brother had not died. I don't know if you caught the difference, but when Martha came, she came to Jesus' face. When Mary came, she came to Jesus' feet. And they both got a completely different response. Mary came to his face. If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Martha came to his feet, or Mary came to his feet and said the same exact thing. If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. But the approach, the posture of their worship was completely different. And so when Martha came to him and got in his face about why didn't you show up, you know what, you know what Jesus told her? Go get your sister. And so she, Martha goes to the house and gets Mary, says, hey, the master wants to see you. And so Mary goes out there, falls at his feet and says, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, this would have happened. And you know what Jesus tells her? Take me to your brother. Two exact things being said exactly the same way by two sisters. But one came to his face. One came to his feet. He says to the one who comes to the feet, he says, take me to your brother. In other words, take me to the place of your pain. I believe the way you worship matters in the hard days. And I'm going to be honest. It's hard to stay at the feet of Jesus on the hard days. We can be extra spiritual in here and be like, no, it's not. But I promise you, there's days where you struggle. There's days where it's hard to just say, I'll worship in this storm. It's hard. It's hard to be at the feet of Jesus. Many people leave the church when difficulties come. Many people leave the faith when difficulties come. And it's hard staying at the feet of Jesus in difficulties. And here's why. Here's why I believe it is. Because it's hard to believe that if he loved us, he would allow this. If you love me, why is this happening? And we see in the scriptures, we see at the beginning of chapter 11, it says, the one, in verse 3, the one whom thou lovest is sick. And then if we skip on down to verse 5, 
It says, Now Jesus left Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6 says, So when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days. I thought you said you loved them. Why did you stay two days longer? Why didn't you come immediately? Why didn't you show up when they asked you? This is going to be something really hard for us to believe. But sometimes the most loving thing God can do is make you wait. And we don't understand it. It don't make sense. We, we can't believe that if he loved us, these things would happen. And it says that when he arrived finally at Bethany, he was already dead four days. Now, let's just put some context in this. The messenger said the one that you love us is sick. It's a day's journey from Bethany to over where he was over across Jordan. It's a day's journey. I believe Lazarus died before the messenger even got to Jesus. And so it's a day's journey. Jesus chose to stay two more days, day two, day three. And then it's a day's journey from where Jesus was to Bethany, that's day four. He's already been dead four days. Whether or not Jesus showed up exactly when they wanted him to or not, it still wasn't going to change the fact that Lazarus is going to be dead before he got there. Here's where it mattered for Mary and Martha. Why didn't you come sooner? I mean, if this was going to happen either way, how come you waited so long to show up anyways? And sometimes the most loving thing he can do for us is make us wait because there's something that it produces within us during the wait. Let me help you with this. Here's the second point. Here's the product of the problem. The product of the problem. One of the things we see that happens is that God uses this to build their faith. To build their faith. Let me, let me ask you a question. What do you think takes more faith? What do you think takes more faith? For Mary and Martha to believe that Jesus could heal their sick brother or to believe that Jesus could heal their dead brother? What do you think takes more faith? Right? And so Jesus was trying to do something in the life, not only of Mary and Martha, but also his disciples. He's trying to increase their belief. He's trying to increase their faith. See, here's the thing. They knew all the facts. We can know a lot of Bible stuff. I preached about faith all my life. It's another thing to live it. And so they knew all the facts. Matter of fact, if you look in verse 22, he's having a conversation with Martha. And Martha says to him, I know. I know that even now whatsoever thou will ask of God, God will give it to thee. I know this. You ain't got to tell me nothing. I know this. And then yet we skip down to verse 39. Jesus is telling them to remove the stone from the grave. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Well, I thought you said you knew I could do all things. Now you're saying it's too late. He stinks. Which one is it, Martha? Do you believe it or do you just know it? There's a difference, isn't there? She knew who he claimed he said he was, but didn't quite believe he could do what he said he could do. Can we just be honest? There's many times where we have all the Bible information. We know all the knowledge. We come to church. We sit under all the sermons. We take all the notes and we know it. We know it. But then when something hits close to home, do we believe it? Do we really believe it with all substance and all 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 just commitment that God will come through? Or do we just know all the facts and, and just kind of when things hit home, we realize, you know what, my faith is a little weak. Because here's the thing about knowledge. Knowledge needs proof. Knowledge needs evidence. But faith, 
is built without proof. Faith is built without knowledge. Faith is putting your knowledge into practice. It is the bedrock of everything you believe. It is the difference between you're going to survive or you're going to retreat. Do you have the faith to endure this situation? I think about Daniel. See, sometimes we need that even though faith. Even though this is hard, I I will believe. Even though this didn't work out the way I wanted it to, I believe. It's hard to have that kind of faith. And so sometimes we need to pray for that even though kind of faith. Like Daniel. Daniel thrown into a lion's den. All he was doing is being faithful and serving God. Yet he was put into a lion's den because of his faith. In that moment, I think some of us would kind of feel defeated. Lord, I was doing everything I was told to do. I didn't bow down. I didn't bow down to the statue. I was praying. I was serving you. Now I'm in a lion's den. But you know what happened? Daniel said in the middle of that situation, he says, I believe God can close the mouths of a lion. But if he doesn't, I'm still going to praise him. Only God can turn a lion's den into a petting zoo. And it was that kind of faith that Daniel, is that even though, even if you don't change my situation, God, I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you because I know my love for you is based on who you are and not what you do. Maybe it's like midnight in Philippi for Paul and Silas. Here they are locked up in chains, being ready to be killed because all they were doing was evangelizing and spreading the gospel and planting churches and expanding the kingdom of God. Now they're being put in prison for it. I would be kind of upset about that. God, why are you letting me down like this? How come you turned your back on me? Here I am doing your work and you're going to put me in prison? Yet it says about midnight... Paul and Silas began to sing praises and hymns unto God. What were they doing? That's that even though kind of faith. Even though this don't look like I want it to look, I'm still going to praise you through it. How about Noah? Noah was told to build a boat. He says, even though I've never even seen a raindrop, I'm going to put a boat together. That's huge faith. Even though this don't look right, I'm still going to trust you. Maybe... Maybe it's something like that in your life. Sometimes God will allow trials in your life so that your faith will be strengthened. I've said it before and I believe it with all my heart. It is in the valleys of your life where you learn about God. And it's on the mountaintops where you get to celebrate Him. It's because I went through this that I can praise Him now. Because I come through this, I can go through this now and again and again. Now, not only was it to build their faith, Mary and Martha's faith, but it was also to build the faith of the disciples. It's to build the faith of others. There's three types of sicknesses that come into our life. One type of sickness is just because we live in a broken, fallen world. When, When sin entered into this world... When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin was ushered into this world, death, decay followed with it. Death, decay, and disease followed into this world the moment sin entered in this world. So there's times sickness just happens because we just live in this broken world. It's just part of it. Sometimes there's a sickness that comes as a chastisement from God. I don't believe that. God's going to make people sick. He has. You can go and, and you can read about Nebuchadnezzar, who was standing on top of his palace and saying, look how big I am. Look what I have done. Man, I am so great. There is nothing greater than me. And God made him mentally insane. And he went about grazing like a cow, looking crazy. And then when he came to his right senses, you know what he did? Praise God. <laughs> he changed his perspective pretty quickly. And then you can read about in, 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 in the Bible where there was a time in 2 Kings chapter 5 where Gehazi, the, the servant of Elisha, 
He went and manipulated some people out of some money. Thought he did it in secret, but God saw it. And, and God struck uh, Gehazi with leprosy. There was a time where Miriam came against Moses and spoke against Moses, the mouthpiece of God. And, and God smote uh, a Miriam with leprosy. Then you see in the book of Acts, there's Ananias and Sapphira who withheld some money from the church. They lied about how much they were actually going to give or how much they actually got. And, and they were manipulating the whole situation and instantly they both died. So there is a sickness that can come about because of discipline and chastisement and God being a loving father not letting us off the hook. There's also a sickness that can come because it's for God's glory. There's a problem that can come because it's for God's glory. Look in, look in this in verse 4. See, we know little. We know very little about Lazarus. We don't know how old he was. We don't know if he had any kids. We don't know if he was married. We don't know what he did for a living. All we know is he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. We knew he lived in Bethany. And we know why he got sick and died. Verse 4. This sickness is not unto death, but why? For the glory of God. The Son of God might be glorified thereby. Do you know there are some times you may go through something that is all somehow, some way, God is going to use that condition. God is going to use that diagnosis. God is going to use that problem. God is going to use that circumstance for His glory and for your good. I don't know if you really believe that, but I promise you, sometimes God's timing has a purpose. In verse 15, he says, I am glad for your sakes I was not there, to the intent that you may believe. The reason I'm about to do this is for your benefit, that you might believe, but I'm still going to get the glory for it. Your situation and issue and problem and sickness or whatever else can absolutely be used for the glory of God. And sometimes God uses your situation not only to increase your faith, but to increase the faith of those watching. They want to see how you handle this. They want to see how good your God really is. They want to see how strong your faith really is. And sometimes just how you handle your situation is going to build the faith of others because that's what Jesus told the disciples. I'm glad I I wasn't there when this happened, that it might increase your faith. Jesus was late on purpose. There was a, a, a Jewish belief or superstition that believed that after three days, during the first three days of a person dying, the spirit hovered above the body. That's what the Jews believed. After three days, the spirit would ascend. Jesus showed up on the fourth day on purpose because he wanted to make sure that nothing else could get the credit. Nobody else had come up with any other excuse, any other explanation. All they could say is, oh, that was God. That was a miracle. I can't believe what I just saw with my own eyes. Sometimes we just need to see God move in a way that only he can move to give our faith a little boost. See, Mary and Martha and the disciples, remember, they had a lot of knowledge But they needed to see something that would increase their belief. That God can actually do what He says He can do. And and you might be thinking, Andrew, how does this actually apply to my life? I know I speak a lot about the issue that Tracy and I went through last year, specifically Tracy with her diagnosis of AML leukemia, March 17th. I can say that's one of the hardest seasons of our life, without a doubt. There was a moment during that time that she had this really bad gut infection. Now her doctor, 
Her doctor is Dr. Vashani. He's, he's Indian background. Great dude. Love that guy. But there was a moment Tracy got this really bad gut infection. And they basically said, here's the three options. She has no antibodies. She has no immune system. She has no white blood cells. She has no platelets. She's completely bottomed out. Option one is we do surgery, but she probably won't survive the surgery because there's no way her body will heal from it. Option number two is this thing's going to increase and her colon will explode and all that bile will get into her system and there's no way for her system to fight it off and she'll probably die. Option three, we can give her some antibiotics, hope for the best. And for a moment, I thought I was going to have to bury my wife, that my kids were going to lose their mother. I mean, it... It got hard. And can I say, that was one of those moments where you ask God a lot of why questions. God, I've been serving you for since I was 17 years old. I've been preaching. I've been in ministry some sort, somehow, for 17 years. I've been preaching for 20 years. I started preaching when I was 17. I've been preaching for 20 years. I've been serving you for 17 years. I've been to Bible college. I've seen thousands of people get saved. I've been all over this world preaching the good news and the gospel. I married one of the godliest, kind, compassionate women I know. God, why us? Why her? I don't know. Maybe I'm not spiritual enough. I don't know if anybody else can relate to those kind of questions. But why? Why? And then... That day that Tracy got that news, West Point High School decided to have a little prayer meeting at the flagpole. And all the teachers and the faculty and the students gathered around the West Point flagpole and they joined hands and they lifted up my wife in prayer. The next day, the doctors took Tracy back for another CT scan. And they got the CT scan from that day and they compared it to the one the day before and they're looking at it and the crowd keeps getting bigger and bigger around the screen. And they're calling other people to come look at it. And I hear one of them whisper, where did it go? (laughs) Now, I say that because Dr. Vashani, who is not a Christian, who comes from an Indian background, the first thing he says to me and Tracy is, your God healed you. Do you realize that sometimes God will do things in your life, not only for your benefit, but for those who are watching to build their faith, who are eager to believe and want to know this God that you serve, that He does things in your life because He wants to see other people's lives transformed through you. Now, later on, after Tracy got into remission and, and she's going for one of her uh, checkups, now we never hit our faith. We made our faith very, very public. We prayed together. We, we always had Christian music playing in the room. I mean, we were very, very public and open about our faith. Tracy had to do one of her checkups and... Uh, Dr. Vashani was going to be the one who was in the room, and I was sick. I had to miss it. And so he walks into the room, and it's just Tracy sitting there. He doesn't see me. He says, where's your preaching husband at? <laughs> Tracy had to tell, her, well, tell him, well, he's sick. He didn't want to come to the cancer ward while he's sick, so he stayed at home. And he says, well, tell him this. I've read the whole Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and I found some very interesting things. And I would like to talk to him about it. Listen, God will do some things in your life 
that are unique and special and it may hurt and it may not feel good and it may feel like he's late, but I promise you he's on time, that there's always a purpose. It's for his glory and it's for your good. All you have to do is trust him. Keep in that pattern of worship. God, I'm going to worship you in the easy days so I know how to worship you in the hard days. Get into that posture of worship. God, this don't feel good, but I'm going to sit here at your feet. I'm just going to trust you through it. Help me. I know a lot of things, but God, help my belief. Help me trust what I know. And I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what would happen if we actually lived that kind of way, having that kind of faith, putting that kind of belief in God that He can do all things well. Now, the last point is this. What was the purpose of the problem? We kind of hit on it already. The purpose of the problem The thing we see most primarily highlighted through the scripture is that this was to bring glory to God. He tells us right up front in verse 4. He says, when Jesus heard that he was sick, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. He says, here's the purpose. I know everybody else thinks he's sick because of something else. He says, no, this sickness is for the glory of God. Let me give you some context of what's happening here. This would be the last public ministry or miracle of Jesus. In John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, he records seven different public ministries that Jesus did. It starts out with the, the, the turning the water into wine, and then we see him healing a nobleman's son. Then we see him healing the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And then we see him feeding the 5,000. And then we see him walking on water. Then we see him healing a blind man who's been blind since birth. And the last public ministry miracle he does is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now, the purpose of all these miracles was to give credence and and to substantiate the claims that He is the Son of God, He is the Messiah, He is the prophesied One, He is the Son of the living God. Every miracle was to give credence and credibility to His message. That's the only reason He performed miracles. I want you to believe who I say I am, therefore I'm going to do this. If you were not here last week, Pastor Malcolm did a phenomenal job in the Gospel of Mark talking about how Jesus' main purpose was not to come do miracles, but to tell a message. But the miracles is what supported the message that he preached. And so the the last public ministry miracle that Jesus did, the raising of Lazarus, was actually the one thing that tipped the scales towards the crucifixion. This is why it was the last one. Because you look in verse 53. It says that from that day forth, this is after the resurrection of Lazarus, then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. This was the final straw. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the high priest had enough. And the Sadducees, here's the thing, they didn't believe in a resurrection. And so here's Jesus going to bring dead people back to life. That really undermines their whole theology. And because there's a man walking around bringing people to life and the Sadducees are saying there's no such thing as a resurrection, people are turning their backs on the Sadducees. The Sadducees are losing power, they're losing influence, they're losing money. And they're saying, we got to get rid of this dude. And so they make a plot to kill him. And Jesus knew, this is what's so incredible, Jesus knew that this miracle was going to be the one that was going to put him in the direction of the cross. He knew doing this miracle was going to be the last miracle he would perform publicly because it was going to take him to the cross. And that's why I think it's so incredible that we see in this miracle two important things. We see his humanity and we see his deity. Let me explain. In his humanity, 
we see that Jesus displayed a great love for sinners. Notice the messenger, when they come to Jesus, they didn't say, hey, Jesus, Lazarus, the one who really loves you, he's sick. No, they didn't appeal to Lazarus' love for Jesus. They appealed to Jesus' love for Lazarus. He says, hey, Jesus, the one who you love is sick. And then he goes on and says that he loves Mary and Martha. There are great things that God will do for you and I simply because he loves us. He'll come close to us. He'll come to our rescue. And Jesus went to Lazarus simply because he loved Lazarus. That was what motivated him. And so we see that he had a phileo kind of love. That's what that word uh, love is in the Greek phileo. Think of the word Philadelphia. The city of what? Brotherly love. That's what phileo is. It's a friendship kind of love, a, a family kind of love. And this is the kind of love that he had towards Lazarus. C.F. Andrews talks about an event that happened in World War I between two friends. He says that one of the friends was wounded, lying in no man's land. He was basically helpless. And the other friend, risking his own life, crawled out to his friend. And when he reached his friend, the wounded man looked up at him and said, I knew you would come. Why? Because he loved his friend. See, Jesus will come in our time of need because he simply loves us. And here's where it talks about his humanity. See, John is writing a gospel primarily to a Greek audience. And the Greek people had a weird, misplaced idea of who God is. They believed in an idea called apatheia, which means he's apathetic. God had no emotion. God couldn't feel emotion. God was completely compassionless. God was completely passionless. Why? They would argue it this way. They would say, well, if you can feel sorrow or joy or, 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 or happiness or grief, he would say, they would argue, well, that means that somebody has power over you. If they can sway your emotions that much, then someone has power over you. Therefore, since nobody can have power over God, God doesn't feel emotion. That's how the Greeks would understand it. And then here comes Jesus, completely flipping the script inside out and upside down. Because we see he did love. And he does have compassion. And I think beyond, we talk, we talk about his humanity. We talk about how he was hungry, how he was thirsty, how he was tired. Yes, all those things describe humanity. But the greatest way to describe his humanity, what makes humans unique, is our desire for relationships. And in Jesus, we see that he had a desire for a friendship. And he loved people. And he was moved in compassion towards people. This displays that he had a great love for sinners. And, and, and we, we gotta, we gotta really understand that. He loved these people. I mean, the greatest way that God could show that He loved us is that the Creator become, became part of the creation. Right? But not only does it show His humanity, but it also shows that He has He is deity. Because even though He loved sinners, He did have a great hatred towards sin. Remember earlier when I read through these verses, I told you there's a special word that's going to be important in verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. If you skip down to verse 38, it says, Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a a stone lay upon it. This word groaning in the Greek has baffled scholars because it doesn't make sense. It literally means to snort like a horse. To be angry, just frustrated, 
just just despised, just just angry, just pure raw anger is what this word means. He's at a funeral. Why is he angry? You know, and and and, and really, it says that he wept. And, and John eleven thirty five says Jesus wept. Now he's not weeping because Lazarus is dead, because he knows he's about to bring him to life. Why would he be crying about that? He's moved in compassion about those around him. He's moved because he's, he's empathetic. He cares for the people. That's why he's emotional. But why is he angry? And this is why I believe he's angry. Because he knows that death is the consequence of sin. And he hates sin. And he's at his best friend's funeral because he knows his friend was a sinner. And he said, this is the consequence of sin. I'm having to look at this sin consequence. I mean, you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. It talks about if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And then we find in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death has passed upon all men, for they all sinned. Death is a consequence of sin. Death is one of those appointments that you will never set, but you will never be late for. And it's coming for everybody. It's coming for everybody. And Jesus is at this funeral and he's empathetic and he's sad and he's, he's crying over the move of the audience because he's, he's really cares for them, but he's also angry at what sin has caused. And so now we have this great problem, this conundrum, right? How can God love sinners and hate sin at the same time? How can these two things be reconciled? How can we solve this problem? Is there a solution to this? I'm glad you asked. Because six days after this moment, he is led up to a place called Golgotha. And he is placed on a cross. And he is held up high on top of this mountain between two thieves. And at that moment, God's great love for sinners and his great hatred towards sin collides. And we see that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so we see his great love on the cross, but he had to do something about sin. In Isaiah chapter 53, it tells us that God delighted, it pleased the father to bruise his son. That doesn't make sense. How could a father take delight in, in bruising and crushing his own son? Because the willingness of the son, the depths of his sorrow, the willingness to go that deep in his pain was also equal to the depth of the love the son had for the father. He says, if my son's willing to do this, I know he loves me. But not only does he love me, he loves them. And so we see in this whole picture with Lazarus, He cares about what hurts us. He loves us. He obviously cares enough to die for us, to go to the cross for us. Years ago, when I was first in ministry, I think I was still interning. I was at my pawpaw's house. My paw, I love my pawpaw. Passed away about 10 years ago. My pawpaw is the one that took me squirrel hunting, fishing. Taught me how to hit a golf ball, throw a spiral football. You know, he's my buddy. I'd call him on weekends. He'd come pick me up. We'd hang out all weekend long. And my pawpaw had like a man cave. <laughs> Basically, it was a spare bedroom in the back of the house. We had a, a twin-size bed and a, and, a, and a recliner. And he would stay back there all the time. And I remember going back to my pawpaw's room, and I'm just sitting there on the end of his bed. He's in the recliner. And I've been so burdened. Because I knew he was lost. 
he's a good old boy, but he was lost. And I remember sitting there, and I'm, I'm just praying, God, help me open a door of conversation here. And out of nowhere, my papa tells me, he says, hey, I've been reading that Bible over there. My jaw about hit the ground. I've never in my life heard my papa even say the word Bible. Now he's saying he's been reading the Bible. And I said, really? I said, that's interesting. He said, yeah, um, I was reading about the different times that Jesus brought people back to life. Okay. He says, I know there was a, a, a little, a little boy that was gone his way to a funeral, like he was, he was already dead in a casket and they're taking him and Jesus brought him back to life and there's a little girl who had died recently and Jesus brought her back to life. And I, I saw where there's a man named Lazarus and he'd been dead four days. He said, I just have a question. Why did he wait so long for Lazarus? And this was a Holy Spirit moment because I'm not that smart. Okay. God just kind of dropped something in my heart that quickly. And I said, Paul, Paul, I believe what Jesus was trying to show us here is that it doesn't matter how long you've been dead in your sin. You're never too late that he cannot bring you back to life. Yeah, I thought it was good, too. I did. I really I thought this is the moment Papa was going to get saved. I mean, how could he not? And then he didn't. And then but about two years later, a preacher came to his house, a Sunday school teacher and knocked on his door. My Papa invited him to his house. And that preacher led my papa to the Lord in his living room. And so I, if I planted a seed, I'm thankful for it. But either way, I believe that there's a lesson to learn in these verses that somehow, some way, God can use what you're going through for his glory and for your good. And maybe this morning there are people here, you feel really defeated. Man, you just, Wednesday night I preached to our students. And I talked about how everybody wears a mask. Everybody wears a mask. I can shake your hand, look you dead in your eye, and be like, how you doing, brother? And like, oh, things are good, and your marriage is falling apart. How you doing, sister? Oh, praise the Lord, everything's going good. And you found out that the cancer is back. But you put on that mask. And you're not letting people see who you really are. And you're trying to be tough. And you're trying to make it. But your faith is a little weak right now because you, you believe God can do anything, but at the same time you're struggling with if He can do anything, how come He's not doing this? And you feel like God is late. You feel like God's not showing up when you want Him to show up. And you don't know why He hasn't come. And if God really loves me, then why does my circumstance not change? And maybe you struggle because your faith is, your love towards God is more based on what he does instead of who he is. And so maybe today would be a good time to say, okay, God, I surrender. Help me. Help me stay at your feet. I don't get it. This hurts. It don't make sense. What I learned during that time with Tracy and all the things that she was going through, one of the things I learned was that God did not always answer my why questions. I've shared, I've shared that, shared that in here before. God does not always answer my why questions. I asked a lot of why questions. Why her? Why now? Why this? Why? But I learned that God would answer my how questions. God, how can this be used for your glory? God, how can this be used to increase my faith? God, how can this be used to increase the faith of others? And maybe some of you in this room are, you're struggling, but maybe you need to change your questions from why. The Lord, help, help me understand how. Help me know how I can be used by you. Help me know how this can be used for your glory. I, I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm closing here. 
I'm wondering, I'm just going to ask y'all to be real and honest with me, okay? Out there at Fairview too, I want you to participate. I'm not going to have anybody close their eyes. I want, I want everybody looking around, okay? How many of you be real and honest and say, you know what? I'm kind of going through some hard stuff right now. Anybody willing to say, I'm just, I'm just going through some hard stuff. Now, I don't know if you just keep your hands raised. If you look around the room, it's a lot of people. And I want to be honest with you. God loves you, and he has a purpose for you, and he has a plan for you. But he's wanting to know, will you still love him even if nothing changes? Will you still trust him if he shows up a little too late? He wants to know, will you allow him to use this for his glory and for your good? Will you stay at his feet? Or will you be angry like Martha? It's tough, isn't it? It's tough.